Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 159 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague Ryan Dunleavy. And Ryan, for the first time since late last season, there's a victory to talk about, a historic victory in many ways, as it, of course, began the Danny Dimes era for the New York football Giants with a thrilling comeback in the fourth quarter in Tampa Bay, where just like in the Super Bowl in 1986, a field goal kick drifted just wide right in the city of Tampa Bay to give the Giants their first win of the season. And uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, one of the more exciting games to talk about from a Giants perspective in some time. Yeah, uh, the Giants had lost their last 55 games when trailing by 18 points or more at halftime. A stretch that went back to 1970. It was the second largest comeback victory for a quarterback in his first career start since 1970. Jones was the first quarterback ever with at least 300 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns in a single game. First rookie quarterback since 1970. Uh, Just totally crazy. I mean, just totally... It was everything the Giants thought it would be. It was probably the most exciting Giants game since 2012. And just because you're going to get yelled at, I'll do it for you, the fans. That Super Bowl was 1990, not 1986. Gotcha. Well, here we go. I know Uh, you were like three years old. I I will go one step further here in terms of what Daniel Jones was able to do. Um, It's the first time that a quarterback in a Giants uniform rushed for two touchdowns in a game. Eli Manning's career high was one. I believe. Correct? It's yeah. the first time. Since Hostetler in 91, who won that Super Bowl. Yep. So, obviously, Daniel Jones with a historic performance. And if you want to talk about what it was able to do against pressure, a quarterback rating above 132, completed 70% of his passes against pressure. And then you all saw, and we all were able to see what Daniel Jones was able to do, extending plays, running for first downs, and then, of course, running for touchdowns. We're going to break it all down. Of course, you can follow along on Twitter, Ryan is at R.Y. Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And if you like what you hear, we'd love it if you would subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Throw us a like on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Google Play. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Spreaker. And as always, we really do appreciate those five-star reviews. Let us know what you like and even what you don't like. It helps us grow the show. And we have uh, a comment and a review coming in, Ryan, from Kwame Zilla. He calls it an unbiased point of view. Finally, a 
Giants podcast that's not on the Giants payroll. Love that these guys don't seem to have a bias and they say it like it is. One of my favorites. Just please give us more episodes. It's kind. It's kind of like how I said Pat Shermer never liked the media narratives. He never agreed with them until this week when they won a game and his quarterback played well. Now I bet you he agrees with a lot of the narratives. It's funny. Like the media is wrong when the team's losing, but right when the team's winning. Yep. And let's just dive into what Daniel Jones was able to do. And in my opinion, Ryan, it all came down to that final drive. I mean, we can talk about all we want, and I'm sure we will, some of the big throws, like turning Evan Ingram into a one-play scoring drive type of player when they needed a big play the most right after halftime. We could talk about the pinpoint accuracy on the throw to Sterling Shepard. But in his first game to orchestrate a fourth-quarter game-winning comeback drive, that showed me something about the kid. And, of course, it's fourth down and five on an offense that had struggled so mightily on third down the first two weeks of the season on fourth down, fourth and five. Jones is in the pocket. Uh, It's like the Red Sea parting over the middle of the field, and he runs right through the heart of the Buccaneer defense for that game. Go-ahead touchdown, which proved to be the game winner. Uh, That showed me something about the kid because you don't get much more pressure-packed moments than that, and he went out and he took advantage of it. Yeah, poise is the word everybody's been throwing around. I think you just used it. That's what the teammates are using. To me, it was accuracy that really impressed me. That ball he threw to Sterling Shepard for a touchdown. You talk about a perfectly. He threw into double coverage basically, and but he th- did it with confidence in a spot where only it was either Sterling was going to catch it or it was going to be incomplete. There were so many other balls. I think what Sterling caught another one on that on the game-winning touchdown drive, where. He caught the ball in space and turned around, and there was no one near him, and he ran. He was accurate. I've been saying this on the podcast for weeks. He was accurate with a catch-and-run ball. He was at, he put the ball where it needed to be for his players to then not only take the catch that they were get, to, had, but make a guy miss the Evan Ingram catch. That wasn't just – Evan Ingram was open. Yeah. So you could have thrown that ball – a little behind Evan Ingram, it's probably still a 12, 15, 18-yard gain. He gets tackled. First and 10, start again. No, he threw it to Ingram in a spot where Ingram could turn up field. Darius Slayton could throw a nice block, and Everett Ingram's gone 75 yards. It was, I loved his accuracy with the football. Yeah, I agree. And it wasn't just necessarily throwing him open. It was leading his receivers, as you pointed out, to get yards after the catch. Nowhere did that pay off more than the Evan Ingram ball. And and just back to that Sterling Shepard pass just for a second. In the postgame report card, I had that graded as his best throw. And And it probably was when you go back and watch it. That happened right underneath where the press box is. I don't think a lot of people understand like how the press box is set up in different stadiums. We were right along that corner of the end zone. And from my vantage point, it looked like he threw it to a spot in the corner where only Sterling could go and get it. It's not like Sterling was there at the top of his route. That was timing, it was anticipation, and it was accuracy. And what made it most impressive to me, Ryan, wasn't just that particular throw, but Sterling Shepard's not a guy he was working with much during training camp or the preseason in practice. He didn't have the time with Russell Shepard or Cody Latimer or Reggie White Jr. who he was throwing to during the summertime. This was Sterling Shepard who he got first team practice reps with for all of four practices (laughs) before getting on a plane to Tampa Bay and he delivered. And and Ingram too. 
and, and Ingram as well. You're absolutely right about that. So you talk about the timing. You talk about the mobility. And a lot of players have told me that, and, and Evan Ingram told me about this today, actually, that the biggest difference is he has that mobility to extend plays. So you have that ability to top of your route to freelance a little bit if you hadn't already broken open where the play is still alive. And that's where I think that it's an element of this offense that they hadn't had in prior years. And I'm kind of excited to see how that continues to develop as the year goes along. I wrote this as a lead. I'll say it on the podcast. The best way to describe how special Daniel Jones's debut was is that we were in a party atmosphere locker room. I mean, there were F-bombs being dropped, hugs, high fives, and Saquon Barkley was sitting there in crutches. Yeah, yeah. That sh- it, it should have been the proverbial season funeral. Right. Um, you and I are what? Ten minutes, seven minutes into a podcast, and we haven't mentioned Saquon Barkley's injury. Yeah. That's how special Daniel Jones's debut was. That it actually overshadowed maybe the second big. The Giants might be responsible for the first and second biggest stories in the NFL right now. Dan, Daniel Jones being better than most people thought he was, and Saquon Barkley and the devastating. Think how devastating the Giants season would be if they were zero and three. Eli Manning was quarterback, and Saquon Barkley was injured for eight weeks. I mean. Oh, my God. And people would be selling tickets for, like, uh, pennies on the dollar. Yeah, no, I agree. And I said this a couple in a couple radio interviews and a couple TV appearances, and I think I might have even written it, Ryan, that you look at this through the scope of everything that happened on Sunday that you just pointed out with the injury. Daniel Jones was so good and so accurate, and he was so big in the clutch moment that it really turned the entire trajectory of the franchise. The future is brighter than I remember it being for the New York Giants for the last several years, probably dating back to 2016 when they got on the plane yeah. to go to Lambeau. But I think the future has never really been brighter in recent memory for this team, but the regular season's in doubt because of Saquon Barkley's injury. I mean, the regular season I thought was in doubt anyway because the defense stinks. No doubt about it, but I think that it was, if Barkley were healthy and you had the best running back in the league and arguably a top five tight end and you have Sterling Shepard and you have Golden Tate coming back and you have this renewed faith in the offensive line, not to mention in a division where the Redskins are spinning their wheels, the Eagles can't get or stay healthy and and they have the chance, uh, they were one and two entering a Thursday night game against the Packers. That you're right there in the mix for maybe fighting for a wild card spot with several winnable games remaining. Now it's just about okay, I know, can we survive the four to eight weeks without Barkley and still get Daniel Jones to take incremental steps in his development along the way? I know once they made the switch to Jones, you had him going to the Super Bowl. I know. I, I, I read your prediction. I read it. I'm still holding up four fingers because I still think they were a four-win team with or without Barkley. I just I just don't think they're very good. But at least now there's a reason to watch. Right? Yeah. Like the, the Browns were a seven and nine team or whatever last year, but Baker was a reason to watch. The Jets were a five or four and twelve team last year, but Sam Darnold was a reason to watch. Uh, on and on and on, you could go. You know, I'm sure well, the Eagles were an eight and eight season two years ago, but Wentz was a reason to watch. Now you have a reason to watch it. The record doesn't really matter. The record is gravy at this point. Now it's all about how good how good does he play? How consistent is he? Is he how does I almost want to see him have a bad game this week to so see how he bounces back. Yeah, well, like, I want to. 
learn everything I can about Danny Dimes. If it's not this week, the chances for bad games are coming, buddy, yeah. because you have the Minnesota Vikings yeah. coming to town next week, and then yeah. on a short week, I hopping see... on the buses Correct. to go up to, to Foxborough yeah. to take on the Patriots. How he bounces back from adversity, yeah. you're about to get a pretty decent yeah. sample size over yeah. the next three games. I, I want to see him throw an interception so I could see how it bounces back from that. I want to see him throw, uh, I want to see him have like a near perfect game. Like he still had the two fumbles in this game. I want to see him play yeah. perfectly so I could see how he handles playing perfectly. I want to see everything I can from Danny Dimes. I want, I want to see him put in every situation. I want to see him get, you know, crunched on a sack, how he bounces back from that. I want to see everything I can from Danny Dimes. By the way, you, you say I had them going to the Super Bowl. I upped the win prediction from <laughs> six to seven with but Danny seven Dimes. But seven gets you a wild card. You get in. You win a couple games. <laughs> well, that's you just get, it. If you Barkley get hot. You're a Super Bowl team. Yeah, 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 yeah. If Barkley were healthy. Here we go. I, I think that this team, when you look at the schedule, could win if Jones plays at this level eight or nine games. Oh, no. So now we're from six to seven to eight to nine. <laughs> Check back next week, folks, when Matt has them winning the NFC East. And, and people called me a hater yeah, for, for the last year and a half. Uh, but certainly a lot to be excited about on the offensive end and, and a lot of unknowns. It's it's going to be Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram, and there's probably a good chance you're getting Cody Latimer back. And we, we haven't really talked about Darius Slayton other than the block he threw on the 75-yard yeah, run, great uh, day, catch yes. and run to, to Evan Ingram. But he had a big big passing play as his own. I believe it was a 46-yard bomb down the, the middle of the field that set up the Sterling Shepard touchdown pass. Uh, you know, he's the closest thing other than Ingram that this team has to a field stretcher. Yep. And he played like it against the, the Buccaneers. Absolutely. You know, I think so. Look, the, one, there's a couple reasons the Giants like Sterling Shepard. One is because he is a great blocker. And Darius Layton has that ability to be a blocker. And if you're going to play with Saquon Barkley, you need to, as a receiver, you need to be a blocker. And Darius Layton is that. He was that at Auburn. That's what you need to be in the Auburn offense. And then you, the Giants need a field stretcher. And Ty, Tyke Tolbert said last week that if you lined up the whole team on the goal line and had a sprint race, Darius Layton would win 10 out of 10 times. And that's on a team with Barkley, a team with Ballantyne. Uh, I, I was pretty impressed by that. And he played like it. I, he, he caught the ball, which was his when he first got here in rookie minicamp, Darius yeah. Slayton got open and dropped the ball. He caught the ball. I think Darius Slayton has a chance. Pound for pound, steal for steal, he could end up being the guy who, like, of all, you know, second round, you know, third round pick was Zymanez, fourth round pick was Julian Love, but we haven't even seen yet. Fifth round pick was Connolly, who's starting, so he obviously is a good pick. Slayton could actually end up being the steal of the draft for the Giants. Yeah, steal of the draft for sure. But then you look at the top of the draft class in general, and this was their coming out party. I mean, you look at everything Jones did. His success has been well documented. Dexter Lawrence gets his first sack. He tells me after the game, and Marcus Lawrence was gloating after the game that all week in the locker room, Dexter Lawrence was talking about, Marcus Golden rather, said that you know all week in the locker room, Dexter Lawrence was calling a shot, that his first sack was going to come against Jameis Winston. Um, you talk about that. You talk about Ryan Connolly being thrust into a starting role when both Tay Davis and Alec Ogletree go down. He gets his first career interception. Yeah. So you look at the, what the rookie Baker class did. Baker had a nice, quiet game, which is exactly what he needed. Well, yeah, that's because Jameis Winston was too busy targeting Jackrabbit. I'm sure if you ask DeAndre Baker, that's fine by him. He had a nice, quiet game that he needed. Yeah, he certainly did. But my point here is that when you start looking at this draft, draft class in general, you're looking back to last year, and you can look 
look at Barkley. Yeah. You can look at Will Hernandez to a certain extent. You yeah. can look at uh, Lorenzo Carter. And then you look at this year's class with Slayton yeah. and Connolly and Lawrence. And, and depending on what Baker's able to do, um, th- these are two pretty solid from a talent standpoint draft classes that Dave Gettleman brought in. And they're really going to serve to be the foundation of this franchise for the next several years. It's only one game and it's only a one game sample size, but I really was impressed by what I saw from this rookie class as a whole. Yeah. Let's get to some of the stuff that is concerning. Let's flip this forward to the Redskins. Oh, you mean the fact that the Giants won that game largely because of a missed field goal by uh, Matt Gay? How, what's your concern level for Janoris Jenkins? Pretty high. Actually, because and I think that part of this is and James Betcher is going to catch a lot of heat because he continues to match the Norris Jenkins against the opponent's best wide receiver. They did it the first week what's uh, the other against option? Amari Cooper. Well, that's what I'm getting to. They don't have the other option. They did it in week two against John Brown, and he you know, was OK in that game. And then, of course, the dam broke on Sunday when he gave up 100 and I believe 88 yards and three touchdowns plus a 45 yard bomb um, that set up the, the potential game winning field goal. Of the Tampa. Tampa Bay missed. You don't really have any other options there. The only other option is you shade Antoine Bethea to that side of the field at all times, but then you leave yourself exposed against opposing tight ends. So and there really DeAndre is no. Baker. Uh, you're going to leave DeAndre Baker in one-on-one cover. You know. Yeah. DeAndre Baker needs more help than Jackrabbit. Yeah. So. No, I agree. And you look at Janoris Jenkins. He had a coverage grade on Sunday afternoon, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, obviously, one of the worst of his career. But on the season, he's down to just 31 in coverage and. 37 overall, and going back to our pro football focus primer, anything above a 65 is pretty impressive. Yeah. Janoris Jenkins is in the red with a 31 in coverage and 37 overall. Um, And it was something like a 28.7 coverage grade on Sunday. And you can make the argument that that's being kind based on what Mike Evans was able to do. And it doesn't get easier on Sunday, Ryan, because you have a rookie coming in in in, uh, McLaurin for, for Washington who's averaging over 17 yards per reception and has... 3.95 3.95 speed in the 40-yard dash. Yeah. Uh, I think, look, the Giants left themselves on this island with the secondary. We knew they were doing it. They didn't sign a veteran. We all thought they should. I thought P- I had heard Pierre Desir, I think, was the guy I had heard was a target of theirs. Um, and they ended up going with a bunch of kids, Ballantyne, Julian Love, um, and Love has uh, essentially Haley. become a safety. Yeah, Grant Haley. They went with all these kids and Jackrabbit, and that's putting a lot on Jackrabbit. They cut Tony Lippett, who was a veteran in camp. Like They went with all these kids and Jackrabbit, and the problem, if, if you're going to do that, is the kids are going to struggle. You need Jackrabbit to not struggle, and Jackrabbit pretty much his whole career has been inconsistent, more good than bad, but he's never been like a – game in game out lockdown corner he has always had these kind of like moments of like he'll have a pick six and he'll or two a two pick game or he'll make that play like he made at the end of the bears game in overtime last year some big play but then you know he, the interception against Jacksonville yeah. in the opener last year. But, but those are really the asleep. two plays that st- yeah. strike out over the last season plus for Janoris Jenkins. It, it's just been tough sledding. And I think a part of this is the pass rush. But you look at last week, they Marcus good. Golden had two sacks. Dexter Lawrence had a sack of James Winston. ten quarterback hits, I think. Yeah, so so the, the pressure is starting to come from the Giants' defense. It's just the back end has just been so deficient that it's become target practice back there. And, and with McLean, 
McLaurin and with Paul Richardson and, and of course, you know, whether it's Case Keenum or Colt McCoy or whoever, yeah. Yeah. if they have a clean pocket to operate, those guys are yeah. more than capable of getting open and inflicting some damage on a secondary. Yeah. Let's tell the Giants, I was thinking about this the other day, is there a more anonymous fourth-year Giant than Wayne Gallman? <laughs> have you ever written a Wayne Gallman story? I don't think I've ever written a Wayne Gallman story. Like, this isn't a guy who was just, like, picked up off the street, uh, you know, two weeks ago. Wayne Gallman's been on the team. He's a Jerry Reese draft pick. Yeah. There's only, like, four or five of those guys left. Out of Clemson. Yeah, and he is going to have a huge role in this game. So anybody who doesn't know, I'm assuming Wayne Goldman's the Giants starting running back this week. Like, we're they're going to face the Redskins. We're talking about Daniel Jones. You wrote a good story a couple weeks ago on how the Bills' whole point of their defense was stop Saquon Barkley and make Eli Manning beat you. Then Bruce Arians said pretty much point blank last week, they were going to stop. He didn't hide it. They were going right. to stop Saquon Barkley, make Daniel Jones beat him. Now the game plan becomes. Which, by the way, in the in the entire entirety of the game, Daniel Jones led the Giants yeah. in rushing last week. So mission accomplished on the Bruce yeah. Arians front. And again, Barkley got hurt in the first half, so that changes things. But this now, offense is going to look wildly different on now, Sunday. Now, if I'm a defensive coordinator, it's stop Daniel Jones, make Wayne Gallman beat me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's how you have to approach it. And, y- you know, you look at this offense, I-, I don't know how much you can rely on Wayne Gallman to be the bell cow. It's going to be Evan Ingram targeted 18 times. It's going to be a steady dose of Sterling Shepard. But I think what I'm really you going to have Daniel much- Jones throw the ball 50 times? <laughs> I, I don't know what choice you have, right? I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, the way the Giants are built, this is a devastating injury. You can't have it both ways. You can't put all your eggs into the running back basket. Running back matters. It's yep. a crock that it doesn't. You're naive, whatever. And now you lose your running back and tell me that doesn't matter. Like, yeah, no. You, and I know on Thursday, Pat Shermer said that they're in no rush to put Saquon Barkley on the IR. That's not going to happen, even though that would guarantee yeah. him sitting out for eight weeks. I, I think the timetable is probably going to be in that four to five week range, knowing how aggressively Barkley rehabs. Yeah. But certainly, this is going to be a prolonged stretch without him. We'll, uh, I think I'm most interested in going into Sunday, Ryan, what they do behind Wayne Gallman, because I don't know that he's a guy that can withstand an 18 to 22 touch workload on his own. Uh, I spoke to a couple sources around the league. Fozzie Whitaker, one of the guys they worked out this week on Tuesday, uh, nothing imminent. They're, they're not bringing him in this week. You, you know, they. they have a couple guys on the practice squad like yeah. John Hilleman, yeah. CJ Anderson worked out for the Houston Texans, but you know, to me, that's the move yeah. I would have made on Tuesday is bring in CJ Anderson, who is a proven commodity as a veteran. You can hand the ball to him 15, 20 yeah. times per game. And when Barkley gets back, you saw what he did with Gurley last year. You can limit Barkley's workload, thus limiting the chance that he aggravates the injury. The Giants didn't go there. Yeah. We'll see what kind of roster move that they make, but if they just go yeah. status quo and promote Hilleman yeah. or one of these other practice squad backs, I think you're setting yourself up for failure, quite honestly, on offense, because you're asking, as you said, Daniel Jones to shoulder the majority of the workload on offense, and that's a lot to put on a kid in his second career start. You mentioned Fozzie Whitaker, and every time I hear that name this week, I keep thinking, is he more of like a 60s television character, (laughs) or is he more of like the cartoon? I think of the Muppet. Yeah, Fozzie the Bear, Fozzie the Bear, the Muppet, right? Like, I, I, I keep hearing Fozzie and I'm a Fozzie Whitaker and I'm like that's such a perfect like TV character
character name. Yeah. Uh, that has nothing to do with this game, obviously. The, you're absolutely right. Like, I, I think you're looking at maybe 10 Gallman carries, 5 Eli Penny carries, maybe 2 John Hilleman carries. Um, but I do. I think the Giants... The part that worries me, Matt, is Wayne Gallman is not a very good pass catcher. Like, we watch him in practice. The Giants will say he's a good pass catcher. He, I, he's that element of the offense is gonna have to, is gonna have to take a back seat. The dump offs, the wheel routes, all that stuff. He's not gonna have Saquon Barkley's impact in the. He's more Saquon Barkley the runner than he is Saquon Barkley the pass catcher, which I think it says something. Now, here's what I will say. He might be an upgrade as a pass protector. Saquon yeah. Barkley is not a great pass protector. He's okay, he's serviceable, and you don't even really care because he's so good at everything else. But pass protection is the weakest part of Saquon Barkley's game. Might be the strongest part of Wayne Gallman's game. So maybe in that regard, maybe he's a left. The offensive linemen I talked to this week were very high on Wayne Gallman's ability to diagnose blitzes, to to make sure he picks up the right guy that an offensive lineman misses, to be that last line of defense for Daniel Jones. So maybe that helps. Yeah, I think that'll help. And again, it just comes back to it kind of meshes with Daniel Jones's skill set anyway, that when he does face pressure, he's so good against it. And having that extra pass protector back there might give you an extra second or two in the pocket to make something happen downfield. Uh, But you're right. I I think the the carries are going to be more evenly split in a committee approach rather than Barkley being the bell cow. Um, But I think this could be in a season that's become a breakout season if he can stay healthy for Evan Ingram. This might be his breakout performance because you're not going to throw it to, to Gallman in the intermediate and short game. Ingram's the guy I think that benefits the most there. Yeah, I, I look, I think Evan Ingram has been there. Sometimes you see it coming, and I think we all saw it coming that he was going to have a big year, that uh, they needed him in this offense. And what a strange at this time last year, Ingram was kind of like the forgotten man. He thought he thought he might get traded. There were rumors he might get traded. He was injured all the time. And it almost looked like the Giants favored Red Ellison. Like he might be kind of an odd man out. Now, especially right now, today, with Barkley out of the picture, is Ingram the most important player on the Gi- Jones? And then is Ingram the most important player on the Giants? Yeah, he's probably second to Jones, yeah. I would think. Yeah. And if you want to be optimistic that if the Giants can just get through this game and you win, you pull even to one and one in the division with a win, right? And next week you get Golden Tate back, so you add another weapon into the mix, and you can move forward with Tate, Shepard, Ingram, and Slayton as your top three pass catchers. You know, again, you're still trying to navigate the the loss of Barkley, and I wrote this on Sunday that that's going to be the real litmus test for Daniel Jones. Is it's great to do it in your debut, it's yeah. great to do it once, but you're now asking this kid to walk that high wire four, five, six, seven, yeah. eight more times without one of the most di- dynamic and yeah. dangerous weapons in the entire NFL behind him. That's a whole other task yeah. altogether. But if you start to put some of these pieces in the passing game around him, I, I think that's how you can be competitive, and I think that's how you can really facilitate his development um, in the meantime. Uh, Politi wrote something interesting today. If you went back in time to 2012, RG3, since we're talking about the Redskins, had an awesome debut as a rookie. One rookie of the year. What happened to him? Injuries. The 20 ACL, especially in the playoff game, was the end of it. That's why I think Enjoy Daniel Jones right now. If you don't expect him to be Eli Manning, play 232 games, I think I saw something like for him to 
make 232 consecutive starts or whatever Eli did, it would be like 2,031. 32 or something yeah, like that, like, yeah. Don't expect that. Enjoy what you have right now if you're a Giants fan. Yeah, and, and look ahead to the future. And I think that the, on uh, offense... The, maybe the near future. Uh, that, yeah. that just don't don't expect another Eli Manning is what I'm... Is, is, From I a longevity standpoint, I think yeah. that he's a bit... Eli is certainly an outlier. And, yeah. and I think that if, something, if there's you're something... You're spoiled, Giants fan. Yeah, Phil Sims for 15 years, Eli for 15 years. Enjoy Daniel Jones right now. Try to get the most out of this next five, six, seven years. Don't Correct, and that's an that's an eternity in the modern yeah. NFL, and that's where look at uh, Andrew people Luck. have talked about me being so critical of Eli Manning. He was mediocre at best for the last five to yeah. six years of his career. Probably six of the last seven seasons, he was a replacement level quarterback in terms of production. Uh, th- that's an entire career for some quarterbacks, yeah. and that's where uh, I, people say I might be too harsh. But but you talk about the best years for quarterbacks. Yeah. Most quarterbacks will last six or seven career years in their Not career. A f- a f- yeah, you know what? Even some first-rounders. I mean, yeah. yeah, even some first-round. Like I said, look at Andrew Luck. Look at RG3. Yeah. Yeah, even some guys who have success. Like, you, know, you, just, you just don't know. So that's why it's a good thing the Giants started the future now. Uh, it's a good thing that this season matters for the Giants. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that the one thing, other than the Barkley injury and the unknown about what what Daniel Jones has a chance to be over the length of an entire season, that could hold this team back, not only this year, but without wholesale changes next year, is the defense. defense. And, and, and you bring in, um, uh, looking ahead to Sunday, they have the 32nd ranked pass defense in the league. I believe the 31st ranked overall. Um, it, it, it's just, it's, it's a mess right now. And, and you can look at at every level, whether it's the defensive line, the linebackers, and the secondary, I don't think the Giants have one player who you can say is top 10 or top 15 at his position in the entire league. And, and when you're that devoid of talent, a lot of people have been screaming for the defensive coordinator's head. Yeah. I, I have a hard time pinning all of this on James Betcher because he just doesn't no. have the horses to put together a competent defense. And you can say that maybe he should give Janoris Jenkins some help, but as you said, that then leaves DeAndre yeah. Baker out on an island. People say play Corey Ballantyne. Okay, Corey Ballantyne was a sixth-round pick. Yeah. It might help you in the short term, but eventually his flaws are going to show yeah. themselves. They're devoid of talent at the linebacker position outside of maybe Ryan Connolly. Up front, who's generating pressure for you? Marcus Golden? Sure. Yeah. High energy, yeah. high motor, high effort guy. But beyond that, you can't win in the NFL with just one pass rusher. Dexter Lawrence showed he can get some interior penetration the other day. Let's see you do it for 13 more weeks. Yeah. My point here is that as much as everybody wants to scream and yell about James Betcher, this falls at the feet of Dave Gettleman. For as much talent as they have on offense, they're devoid of that talent right now on defense. Yes, it is absolutely at the feet of Gettleman. January 2nd, Gettleman sat in front of all of us and said, we don't have enough defensive playmakers. Just like, oh, I told you, offensive line was the key last season. We're going to go out and get defensive playmakers. Well, he made offensive line the priority in 2018, and he failed miserably at it. And he made defensive playmakers the priority in 2019, and I think he failed miserably at that. At least last year, Solder and Omame, he tried to get veteran guys. He just, Solder's been average at best. His contract makes him look worse than he really is, I think. 14 pressures through three weeks. Not good. Three sacks through three weeks. Not great. And then Omame was an abject disaster. But at least he tried. This this year, the, the Packers have this great defense. That why? Because they sound like four free agents: a- Amos, Brown, Smith. Like they got free agents that 
made a difference, like what the Giants did in 16 when they sent Vernon and Jack Rabbit and uh, and I was screaming all offseason about Adrian yeah. Amos and Zadarius yeah. Smith. You sign those two players, all of a sudden this defense looks competent, yeah. even without Olivier Vernon. And so I'll get back to Gettleman in a second. So this brings me to an argument I've been having with, with another me- member of the media who will remain nameless, but. The Landon Collins move is still a huge it's still a huge mistake in my in my book. I'm sorry. Even though you and I know you don't even necessarily agree with this, but I know you're getting a third round pick for him in the 2020 draft at the end, compensation pick, whatever. You got nothing for him in 2019. You're missing a huge you're on a defense with no playmakers. Like I just don't I'm sorry, I don't understand how you, Jabril Peppers is not Landon Collins. You replaced him with a player who is not as good as Landon Collins. So I just think that was a huge mistake. I just think that Gettleman just misjudged this defense, and it falls on him. Yeah, well, I will say this. Jabril Peppers has not lived up to what I thought he would be in replacing Collins. Yeah. I thought it would be an upgrade in coverage. He hasn't been. Uh, Collins is somewhere around the 18th or 19th ranked safety by PFF, which is probably, you know, a little better than what you're getting out of Antoine Bethay and and uh, Jabril Peppers. But I'll say this. I think the Redskins are going to re- regret that contract. The $87 million. The Giants didn't have to give them that contract. All they, they need to do is a franchise tag. You're yeah. right. And then you have to think about contingency plans like drafting a safety yeah. and you know having somebody coming up behind him in the next year yeah. or two, which would have been fine. The fact that he's not there, I think it is a glaring yeah. weakness. Um, the Giants haven't necessarily given up a big yeah. play to the tight end yet. That you know We saw Collins give up from time to time. But I think it's coming unless Peppers really steps up. What... So if we made a list, which we won't do, but let's say we made a list of Gettleman's 15 most notable moves, right? Trading for Alec Ogletree, letting Landon Collins go, trading Odell Beckham after signing him. Um, I don't know what else. Uh, The Barkley pick over a quarterback, the Daniel Jones pick, the... uh, Let's see, the the Solder contract. Say 10, 15 moves. I would say that 12 of the 15 are probably not working out right now. Probably don't look very good. He has three or four times as many bad moves as good moves. His two biggest moves, the drafting of Barkley over a quarterback and Daniel Jones, if he hits, those might be his two best moves that he's made as GM, and they're the two that he was criticized for the most. And in your mind, does that wipe everything out? If I gave you a metaphorical scale... And How I good put, is Jones? Oh, I is, put, is Jones, is is Jones Mahomes? No, I mean, nobody's Mahomes. Is, if if, if it, Jones can be Philip Rivers, yeah, Ben Roethlisberger sure, sure. in that level, I think it makes up for it because so I think the, the quarterback the is scale, that important. I can picture in like a cartoon where like the scale has 10 things on one side stacked up and one thing on the other. How does it balance out? You think getting the, the quarterback right to me means everything, especially pairing it with uh, Barkley. Even with the other ten things, or ahead of he comes out ahead if Jones is. I right? think he becomes out slightly ahead because okay. once you have the quarterback, it's, those things start to matter less because you can build around okay. him and not I allocate resources to trying to get the quarterback. I think I agree. I think if he got the quarterback right, then he then he ends up being a you know looked at as wow he's the guy who got got Daniel Jones yeah and and who knows depending on how the next couple of years play out how long he's the GM of the Giants or how competitive they are how quickly but that's the other thing 
Now you have the quarterback, and it is the hardest thing in sports to find a franchise quarterback. The second hardest thing is winning in the window of him being on his rookie deal. Four years. And, and the Giants now are on the clock, and Steve Politti wrote a great story about this right after, for different reasons, the benching of Eli Manning. They now have four years to build a competent, competitive, yep. Super Bowl-caliber roster around Daniel Jones because it gets exponentially harder to do that when you pay him a franchise quarterback type of contract and the new CBA is going to change the dynamics of all that and the salary cap and all of those things but in the current climate it, it now becomes imperative and I think they're much closer on offense because other than maybe a left tackle who they can groom and a right tackle who's young well, so I think they have the pieces the right tackle at that point right I think, yeah. yeah move them to the right side I think they have most of the pieces on offense mm-hmm. defense and, and again, we've talked about this and before. Defense, look, they only In need two, they only need like two defensive linemen, three linebackers, and three defensive backs. <laughs> if that, because I think that they're so young, and that's part of the reason why this is happening right now. I think it's going to be growing pains throughout the course of this year. And look, you have a first-round pick in in Lawrence, a first-round pick in first round picks don't always work out. Baker. You had a first-round pick in Eli Apple. Yeah, no, that's true. But the, I'm, I'm just saying they've invested yeah, they've on invested. that side of the ball. They better be right because those are fewer pieces the teams that, that you have to go and get. The teams that are right are the good teams. The teams that are wrong are the bad teams. Like the Steelers and the Patriots and the Rams. They're, those they te- good, those teams continuously make good moves. Yes, and the teams that continually screw up their first-round picks are the Browns and the you know, Dolphins. and The, the Bengals. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Bengals had a lot of first-round talent there The as one well. thing is Gettleman has been through two years much better in the draft than he has been in free agency veteran moves, which is strange because he was a pro personnel guy. Yeah. It's strange. His pro personnel moves have been much worse than his uh, college. And when you zoom out and you look at the picks they've had over the last two years, we've touched on some of them over the course of the podcast. If Jones winds up being a franchise quarterback, those guys are the foundation. And you have to need to continue to draft well this year and hit on free agency. So let's zoom in on this game on Sunday, Ryan. Obviously, the Washington Redskins come to town. A lot of familiarity with Landon Collins and with Eric Flowers and with DRC. A lot of familiarity there. Uh, Josh Norman obviously tormented Odell Beckham when he was here. That storyline's no longer around, obviously. Um, But it's a pretty big game for them. Um, Again, I I don't think either one of us have realistic expectations of them competing for a playoff spot, but it would be pretty monumental from a quote-unquote culture-building standpoint and for Daniel Jones if they won a division game and got to 500 this early in the year. No, I agree. I think, you know, if you get back to – you once you're back to 500, it feels like a fresh start. Whether you're 2-2, two and 4-4, two, four and 6-6, four, six and six, 500 for a losing organization always feels like a fresh start. So you're right. If they win and they – I think they're actually favored, right? Two-point favored from what yeah. I saw, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously if they win, it's a huge game. What – factor do you think Landon Collins emotionally has in this game? Like he's obviously a leader of the Redskins. He's going to be flying high, obviously motivated as all heck. You would think he would motivate the guys around him. Let's win this one for Landon kind of thing. What kind of impact do you think that has on the game? Or am I, you know, I don't think you're making much of it at all. I I, I think that that absolutely happens this week. I mean, I mean, I'll just look back to when I first started covering the league, Donovan McNabb's first game back as a Redskin. You you just go back and watch the video after the game of him getting the game ball from teammates and them going absolutely nuts for Donovan going back into Philly and winning. Uh, I I think this week with all that's been written by our own Daryl Slater, a great story. Go read, read it, it on the disdain that 
Collins, Flowers, and, and Norman, former Gettleman players with the Giants and Panthers, have for Dave Gettleman. All that was invested, Landon Collins, that he invested in the Giants through his whole career, being a captain, a four-time pro bowler, the fact they didn't even offer him a contract, which you and I reported at the Combine, uh, all of that thrown together. There's got to be a lot of talk in that locker room, and if they come in and win, yeah. I would not be surprised if the post-game video put up on Redskins.com <laughs> is the entire him. defense all about Landon and hey, where's Landon? Here's yeah. a game ball, and Landon spikes it into the into the turf. I think that that's the type of thing and the type of conversations that are being had down the turnpike this week. Who starts at quarterback for the Redskins? <laughs> Can they just start Haskins? And it would give be us great. A, it would be so fun. And, and and I think that that's the other thing here. Pat Shermer comes out and he's effusive in his praise of of, uh, of Dwayne Haskins. Two weeks after he says Josh Allen might have been a starter in so this good. league, um, I think he learned to be a little bit more complimentary uh, of the opposing quarterback. So but I also think that he might have liked Haskins a little bit. Obviously, yeah. Washington liked Haskins a lot more, and clearly the Giants loved Daniel Jones. He was far more pro ready. It seems, and I think that if they, if we can't have that drama of Jones versus Haskins, Giants fans have to be pretty excited about how quickly Jones got on the field and how well he's playing. I can we just stop with uh, who wanted to draft Daniel Jones after the Giants? I can't do 15 years of this. I can't do. <laughs> he would have been there at 30. He would have been there at 17. Now all of a sudden, after Daniel Jones is. Uh, after Daniel Jones is named the starter, all of a sudden there's a line of teams saying, oh, yeah, he wouldn't have been there at 17. Like, no, you didn't want any part of him when right. the Giants were under fire for it. Now you can't suddenly claim you were going to draft him. I've had enough of that story already. Like, I, I just can't – like – I just can't. I don't. I don't buy the Giants were going to draft Haskins ever. I just. I never thought he was their ty- type of player. Clearly, he, he definitely wasn't. the Redskins. Clearly, type. he wasn't. Yeah, I definitely thought that he is the Redskins type of player. I look forward to those matchups for the next couple of years. Yeah, um, Daniel Snyder loved him, and if there's one thing we know about the NFL when it comes down to coaches and ownership, yeah. the owner's going to get yeah. his way, regardless of what the head coach wants. If the owner has a preference, yeah. especially at the quarterback, he's getting his guy. I would love to know if John Mara had a preference with Daniel Jones. I would love to know if John, he'll never admit it. It'll be hard to find, for anyone to find out really because Mara is so uh, closed off. But I would love to know if he, he was definitely Gettleman's guy. He was definitely Shermer's guy. I wonder if he was John Mara's guy. I, I would think he has to have been yeah. to be the pick at number six with so much defensive talent yeah. on the board. Um, and we've debated this over and over again. I, I think that the, the one reason where I think that I was critical of the pick, it wasn't Daniel Jones, the player. And we talked about how, you know, when players show up in rookie minicamp or minicamp, in my opinion, pre-draft talk is over with, right? But my concern was, did they maximize the value? And if you could have come away with Josh Allen or Ed Oliver at six and traded up to go get Daniel Jones at seven or eight, that would have been the A-plus move for me. Yes, but you would have to give up quite a bit to do that. You're looking at probably... I would have given up. The, I would have given up right. 17, 35, and a 2020 first to go get him. Yeah, I think that would have done it. Yeah, I think that would have. Because, done in my it. opinion, as, as much as I think Dexter Lawrence has a chance to be a disruptive force, coming away with Josh Allen and Daniel Jones yeah. would have set your franchise up 
here's the unimaginably thing. well. Here's the thing. He, Gettleman would have been roasted for doing that, for giving up all that for Jones. I mean, look how he was roasted for Jones without giving that up. Right. He would have been roasted for it. But he, Ernie, of course, he gave up quite a lot for Eli Manning. He yep. gave up a future first-round pick. That He gave up the fourth pick, which was Phillip Rivers, the a future first, a, I want to say a second. And no one 15 years later is saying, you know, Ernie, of course, he gave up too much for Eli Manning. Well, especially when we wind up getting two Super Bowls out of the pick. That's it, right? That's it. Well, give me a pick for this game. Let's uh, wrap this up. Yeah, I have the Giants winning this game, actually. And I think it could get out of hand. Um, I, I know that Saquon Barkley not being there uh, is, is going to play a factor. Woof. But I, I think Jones is that good. I think Washington's that bad. I think the Giants defense finally has a team yeah. where it's not Dak Prescott at quarterback. It's not Josh Allen. It's not Jameis Winston to Mike Evans. Uh, I, I think something in the area of 41-27. Woo! Blowout for the Giants. Guys, I will tell you, the Jets actually have, like, the flight crew cheerleaders. The Giants have asked Matt if he would want to be one of their cheerleaders. He has not, repl- <laughs> he has not replied. He, he, he has not replied. Um, I have the Giants losing because I'm just going to keep picking them to lose because until the defense shows me something. And the second half, yes, they made adjustments. Yep. Yes, they should have lost the game on a field goal. I they think you're jump. underestimating how bad Washington's roster is. Um, I think I'm under. I think I'm exactly estimating correctly the Giants' defense. <laughs> that uh, you might be doing. Yeah, I just I, look. I think Jones was incredible. I'm on. I'm on board with the excitement. They still should have lost 34-32. So, I just. Basically, when the defense needed to make a play against Buffalo, they let them go right down the field for a touchdown. When the defense needed to make a play against Tampa Bay, they let them go right down the field for what would should have been a field goal if Bruce Arians didn't take, take some wacky penalty. Uh, if Bruce Arians took a shot to the end zone, they probably would have lost that game too. When the Giants' defense needs to make a stop, I don't really have any confidence in them to make a stop. So I picked uh, Washington 28-26. By the way, I, I used to ask you for parting shots on the way out. I have the ultimate parting shot right here. Oh, People okay. will be talking about this. I one. will. I will be silent. Had they started Daniel Jones week one, yeah. the Giants are entering this week at two and one and potentially going to Minnesota at three and one through the first four games of the season. Yeah, well, Minnesota's here, but. Uh, well, the game, yeah, going into going, the game. I gotcha. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I think it's. I was obviously on start Jones later than earlier. You were not, but I think you're right. You were right about when they would start him. I think you're right about, I think they would be three and one. I think they would have beat Buffalo. And we'll see if they can beat Washington on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Thank you as always as listening. Again, if you loved what you hear, please subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store. Leave us those five-star reviews and follow us on Twitter. He's at R.Y. Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And of course, you can follow the show at Talk is Cheap NYG. We'll talk to you next week after the Giants' second NFC East game game of the season and the second game of the Danny Dimes era here in New York.